0: Revelation seeks to spark a revolution of the mind, of the body, and of the soul, calling on persecuted, hopeless, powerless people to see that the death and resurrection of Jesus has changed everything, for them, for all, for always. The claim of Revelation is that Jesus has turned the world upside down and inside out, removing all the persecuted, hopeless, powerless people from their old lives that could only be lived under the thumb of the emperor or under the threat of death. The claim is that Jesus has brought something else into existence, another way. Revelation's claim is that in Jesus, God created again, this time new life. Genesis has the Bible start with a story of creation in the beginning, Revelation has the Bible finish with the story of a new creation, new life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to start my Good News Proclamation today by sharing an idea that we would probably think is pretty strange. Today is the last day of our church year, you might know. The year has been the year of Mark. The symbol for Mark the Evangelist is… This, the the winged lion. Hard to see one of those in nature, by the way. Luke's symbol, you might know, is an ox. John's is an eagle. Matthew's is a person. Each is given wings in the symbol for each evangelist. And in lots of Christian art, they appear together as what some call a tetramorph. That's quite a word, right? The pulpit here at First Lutheran, that's where that image behind me is from, it is a unique wrought iron art piece depicting all four evangelist symbols. Not everybody agrees, unfortunately, on why Mark gets a lion, why John gets an eagle, but when people try to explain it, some say it might have something to do with how Mark begins. Each one, in fact, The symbol, they say, is rooted in how the gospel starts. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness made somebody at some point imagine the majesty and strength of a lion roaring into the wild. So that's meant to help us remember how Mark starts, the voice of one crying out into the wilderness. So anyway, today's the last day of a church year, the Mark year. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because of a Jewish holiday I learned about this week. They, too, have a kind of lectionary as they make their way through, they call it the Torah. And on the last Sabbath before starting the cycle over again, they celebrate a holiday that's called Joy in Torah during worship. They call it Shemhat Torah. And you know what they do to celebrate? They open the ark in their synagogue and they take all year these scrolls rest in that ark. And each year, this one time on this week of the year, they they take out these big, they're big, these huge scrolls, and they dance with them, like for hours. Hours! They just dance around their worship space with these scrolls. They take turns, aliyah, and that is a word that means the act of going up to the reading place. Kids take turns reading from the Torah, from these big scrolls, and then they dance, and then adults take turns reading from the scrolls, and, and they dance some more. They literally dance with these scrolls. It's pretty great. So what I've decided today to do is have us all dress up like lions. Pick up your Bible that's in front of you. That's why we put them in the pews. And then let's dance around. I'm kidding, of course. I wouldn't do that to you. I know. You can, But you can do it at home. Those of you worshiping with us online go for it. Uh, But we can prepare for next year maybe because we didn't make our lion costumes for today, right? But next year, being the year of Luke, have your ox costume ready. Make sure you're wearing some wings. Actually, dancing with scrolls feels a little strange, or maybe a lot strange, but there is something right about that festival because it shows an excitement for what the Word of God is. It shows a, a kind of gratitude You know, too often we Christians would rather hold a Bible kind of at arm's length because we're almost kind of scared of it, like we're just intimidated by it. Or we assume, oh, that's a book of judgment. That's all it is. And once a year, Jews treat their Torah scrolls like it's this beloved treasure that's bringing them nothing but joy. And that was God's intent, right, by giving us this living Word, inspiring these words through the Holy Spirit. So, I'm not going to make anybody dance with their Bible today, but I am going to do something almost as strange, and that is treat the book of Revelation as a source of joy. Like the kind of joy you feel when your team wins, only way deeper than that. Or the kind of joy when you feel when you fall in love, only way bigger than that. It's the kind of joy that touches God. It's such good news so many people read Revelation and then they they just get stuck on the scary parts as though we can talk only about doom and gloom, that that's the only thing we can talk about if we're going to read from Revelation, which would be a lot like saying, you know, Disney World is a scary, awful place based only on how far away you have to park. Like, there is more, you know, there is more to it. When you come off your favorite ride at Disney, nobody, when asked, so how's your day going, says at that very moment, well, the parking was awful. <laughs> this is the kind of choice we get to make regularly. We could all dwell on bad news all the time, how gas prices are going up, or there's labor shortages in every industry, or, you know, there's supply problems, and it's Christmas time, or, you know, COVID numbers are increasing, or the fallout from the Rittenhouse verdict is really tough, or we… We can always entrench ourselves in bad news. It's always around, always will be. Being a child of bad news is always an option. Revelation has this done to it. People use it to proclaim bad news. Be afraid, doom and gloom, beasts, violence, blood, ah, Revelation. But that's not what Revelation is for. Doom and gloom and bad news are the opposite of what a Christian life is meant to be for. The exact opposite of what Revelation is trying to proclaim. Revelation is about hope and joy. It's not a big storm warning, it's a birth announcement. And yes, giving birth is scary. I mean, I've never done it myself, but I've been there three times. When successful, the scary gets forgotten. And it's hard to not just feel hope and joy. As as Dr. Barbara Rossing says of Revelation, its message is not that the world is about to end. Revelation is claiming that the world is about to turn. "'My soul cries out with a joyful shout that the God of my heart is great.'" And my spirit sings of the wondrous things that you bring to the ones who wait. You fixed your sight on your servant's plight, and my weakness you did not spurn. So from east to west shall my name be blessed, could the world be about to turn. My heart shall sing of the day you bring, let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is a to turn. Our text for today is from the first chapter of Revelation, and right away it claims that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So remember, Revelation is written at a time, in a place, when the emperor of Rome literally claims all glory and power and might as though He is a god. A lot of what we say and do in worship is a direct affront to the idea that any worldly power exists without being subject to God, without being subject to the wisdom, might, and judgment of the one true God. When we say the Creed, for example, We are effectively saying, because we need to say this, I believe in God, not Caesar, or whoever Caesar is in our life. Not Trump, not Biden, not the Packers, not the Vikings, not my dad, not my mom, not me. I believe in God, because I see that the world is about to turn. That's what the creed is basically saying. Now, I said it before, Revelation seeks to spark a revolution of the mind, the body, the soul. We've all studied political revolutions. When people figure it out together, we don't have to take this anymore. And so they fight to gain power. That's what revolutions look like. Well, this revolution is so different. Revelation casts a vision where the fight has already been fought, Jesus fought it, Jesus died fighting it, and then he didn't stay dead. New life is a possibility in this new creation. The question then for us is, what is to be done with this new life? That's why there's church. We together try to figure that out every week, every day, every year. Revelation is simply a birth announcement that a new creation has been born through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we all, through baptism, we get born into that new birth. So what do we do in this new creation we've been baptized into? Revelation's answer is witness. Later in this last book of the Bible, we'd hear that we conquer Satan by our witness. we have to think about what does it mean to be a witness, to make witness. In this new creation, it's all about what we see and then what we say about what we see. We boldly put ourselves in situations to see things, to see injustice, and to see where things are just, and then say something about that. To see despair, to expose ourselves to despair, but to also see and know that there is joy. Having been bold enough to see, to put ourselves in situations to see things, we then together draw on the courage of Jesus to say things about what we saw. It's like being a reporter. We are given eyes to see with, hearts to love with, strength to forgive with, And then we bear witness with our words and actions showing we don't have to live in doom and gloom. We don't have to believe the lies and limits of this world. We are not children of bad news. In faith, despite the brokenness that still lingers and festers, in faith we know that the world is about to turn. Living the new life, Born from God's gift of a new creation where resurrection upends the cancerous evils of this world, living a new life brings the future into our present. It's how I visit someone, let's say it's a person who's in our prayers, pretty much every week. And many of us know uh, this person or someone like this person. Imagine someone diagnosed with a, a terminal illness, a tough diagnosis. And I remember visiting someone with a diagnosis like this, and we talked about the details of his funeral, and, and I asked him, so you can see it from here, right? Death, I mean. I mean, it could be months, it could be longer, of course, but you can see it from here. What's that like? You know, seeing the whole of your story... Including how it likely will end, are you angry? Are you sad? Are you frustrated? And of course, you might have people like this in your life that you can believe that this could be someone's answer. And this person's answer was I'm not angry, I'm thankful. That's an amazing response. When this person looks at his life, he sees so much love because there has been so much love. He doesn't get stuck on the brokenness he can't control at the end. He sees the wholeness God has offered him his whole life and will continue to offer him long past his death. That's living in a new life already. And even after we reluctantly take leave from each other, in faith we know That the world is about to turn. We have the option every day to believe in doom and gloom, to live in the fear of all that is sick, all that is broken, all that is twisted. Being a child of bad news is an option, and there are many siblings there. As people of faith, we also have the option to remember this birth announcement that God will wipe away all tears. For the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn. Thanks be to God. Amen.